he shook her and probably bashed her against something as well. And she suffered a, a fatal head injury. She immediately realized, you know, something's wrong here and, it, you know, he's done it. The judge referred to it as very harrowing evidence, which, you know, will, will stay sadly with the jury and anyone else who heard it for a long time. It's a tragic case all round. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It was a horrific crime that many vowed would never happen again. When baby P, our 17-month-old Peter Connolly, died having sustained 50 horrifying injuries at the hands of his mother, Tracy Connolly, her lover, Stephen Barker, and his brother, Jason Owen, all three went to prison. Now, as Connolly's parole sparks a further outcry, two other cases have come before the Old Bailey in London with striking similarities and equally devastating outcomes. Today, I'm talking with Chris Summers, editor of Total Crime, who tells me about the tragedies of 16-month-old Nusaiba Umar and two-year-old Kyrell Matthews, murdered at the hands of adults who he says should be placed on a special registrar. What sort of human can kill a child and how should we, as a society, protect others going forward? This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Chris, I think we all remember um, the story of baby P and uh, all the way back in, in 2009 when his mother, Tracy Connolly, was jailed. Um, just tell us what's happening with that at the moment, because I was surprised to see see that back in the media. Yeah, I understand that she has now been uh, cleared for uh, release by the, the parole board. Um, I think that I think it sort of came out via the Ministry of Justice or Dominic Raab sort of seemed to um, confirm it. Um, usually, you know, those sort of things don't, they're not publicly announced. But, um, yeah, it appears that, you know, she she has served her time and is considered um, fit for release, which obviously is going to um, annoy a lot of people who remember that case and, and feel that she should have served longer. And just remind us what happened because that picture of that little blonde baby sort of tends to stay in our heads. But what actually happened back then? Well, he he was uh, yes, he was obviously the the child of uh, Tracy Connolly. He he was originally known as Baby P because he was covered by legal orders preventing his naming. Um, so he was originally only known as Baby P. Um, later in the legal proceedings, he was formally named, identified as Peter Connolly. Um, and yes, her, her son. Um, and he died at the hands of her boyfriend and his brother, who were both living, you know, living with her. And like horrific injuries to his, to his little body. Horrible. And, and it also happened, in, it happened in the, the London borough of Haringey. Which um, a few years, only four years earlier, had, had also been where Victoria Colombier died. Um, and if you remember the Baby P case, there was huge sort of political ramifications. The the director of children's services was fired, and then 
she was sort of challenging it and the the, the then justice secretary um or the home secretary i think it might have been uh jack straw got involved um, yeah, so it became a very big story. I mean, the child died of 50 injuries. He was only 17 months old. And after there had been incidents of abuse in that home over a period of time, and I think the, the general feeling was the care services had failed him. And um, Tracy Connolly herself, you know, she, her, her face is well known. Uh, she's coming out now on parole. She served her time. Is there outrage about that or what's the sentiment? Um, I, I'm, I, I think there would be outrage in, in that area and anyone who knows the family. Um, I mean, yes, like you say, there was a lot of social services involvement and sort of blunderings, you know, failing to notice injuries or just taking her word for what had happened and not, you know, just very poor social work, um, follow up, um, I mean, obviously, at the moment, you know, everything's about Russia and Ukraine and the energy crisis. So, you know, the that story, um, you know, the uh, Tracy Connolly's release is probably not getting the coverage it might ordinarily. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, there will be a, a lot of uh, attention, certainly if she ever was was arrested or, or you know, did anything to... Uh, pop back into the public consciousness again. Is there a suggestion that she has, you know, done courses in prison or anything like that? Have you seen, you know, is she coming out a reformed character? Clearly the parole board believe it. Yeah, I don't think the, the Ministry of Justice would would comment on that. But yes, almost certainly as part of her um, prison sentence, she would be, well, firstly made to accept, you know, uh, or sort of confront her her crimes and her responsibility for what happened and address, you know, issues that she may have, um, you know, whether it was alcohol or substances or, or just sort of being with men, you know, very, you know, choosing very, very bad boyfriends and allowing them, you know, uh, allowing them to, to hurt her children. I mean, obviously it's very unlikely that she'll ever be, you know, uh, allowed to have a child and, and take care of that child. Um, in fact, I, I've been doing some research um, and, and speaking to a campaigner about, they're, they're trying to set up a, a child um, cruelty register in the UK because at the moment you have you have a sex offenders register for anyone convicted of, you know, anything from rape right down to, you know, indecent assaults, etc., um, sexual touching, and... You know, so that that immediately flags up, the, you know, people who, with those predilections. Um, but anyone who's had any sort of child abuse or neglect um, uh, conviction is not actually on the radar. Um, it's up to individual social services to know about them, and especially if they move to one from one part of the country to another, you know, there, there's a fear that they could well sort of go off the radar and, you know commit offences again or, or harm another child. So it's it's amazing that there isn't such a thing. And you've been in court recently in, in the Old Bailey where unfortunately um, what happened to Baby P isn't a thing of the past. It's still unfortunately happening to other innocent children. Um, two cases and we'll start with Cameron Hader and the baby Nusaiba Umar, 16-month-old little girl. 
very hard cases to cover, I'm sure. Yeah, it was it was it was horrible, and and especially when you know they, I mean, they release to the, um, you know, to the public this week the the actual photograph of Nasaba, you know, little cute little little girl in, in um sixteen months old, um, wearing a you know little outfit, sort of smiling. Um, how anyone could hurt such an innocent child is just beyond me, but. Yeah, sadly, she, um, her mother moved in with this character, Cameron Hyder, and um, he apparently, in a in a fit of temper, uh, which he was prone to, um, either sh- well, he, he shook her and um, probably bashed her against something as well, um, and she suffered a, a fatal head injury. Now, this was back in September 2019 when uh, when she got the injury and she died four days later in hospital. But the relationship or how she came to be living with Cameron Hayder, how the little girl and her mother came to be living with them is quite extraordinary. It was, to say the least, uh, you know, a very quick relationship before they moved in together. What happened and, and how did her mother, Asaya Amazir, meet, meet Hayder? Yeah, it certainly was a, a, a whirlwind romance and, and not in the not in the best sort of Hollywood uh, happy ending way. Um, mm. They met in August 2019 on a dating website sometime in, uh, I presume, the early August. Um, and by um, the 28th of August, they were living together. And um, on that day, um, Nuseba suffered another injury, which meant she went to hospital. That's not the the injury that she died from. But, yeah, they... They moved in together, or basically, um, Nusaba's mother moved in with Cameron Hyder literally uh, a couple of weeks after meeting on a, on a dating website. And the first day they moved in, the child suffered um, well, an injury? Well, no, on the 28th of August, so okay, uh, maybe a, a week or, or so mm. later. Yeah, she, I mean, ama- amazingly, and, and not many people could imagine, you know, having met somebody so quickly... To then leave the, your child uh, with that person is, you know, not something I don't think a lot of mothers would do. You know, so she left him, sorry, left the child with him to go to an appointment um, and came back uh, and he and found that the child had a in- head injury, which involved going to hospital. Uh, fortunately, that, you know, wasn't that serious, but she she immediately realized, you know, something's wrong here and, it, you know, he's done it. And she tried to um, get alternative accommodation, but but she didn't. She she stayed with him um, until the thirteenth of September, which is when um, he did it again. And the child um, that time suffered a, a fatal brain injury. And uh, his background, he was running a puppy farm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a bit odd he he was yeah he was he was making money breeding puppies um i, I guess there's quite a lot of money in that nowadays you know if you especially if it's sort of if it's a, a pedigree dog um people pay quite a lot of money to um to get them um not sure we don't th- i don't know whether it's sort of dog fighting dogs or or just you know mm-hmm. cute uh, labradors or whatever but there was also that was a part of the reason that she moved in. Apparently, that they she wanted to 
sort of help with that or she wanted to get some money out of it i think so um yeah that was that was certainly the part of the remit for moving in so the first injury did he what excuse did he give her that that first time that she ended up in hospital with her baby i think he just said it was um it was a an accident had happened um you know it, um and you know, it's just she accidentally hit her head. I mean, ch- children do hit their heads. I mean, I've got a a young child, and he's he's done not quite walking. He's he's crawling around, and and occasionally they sort of lose their balance and bang their heads. So it does happen. But um, you know, maybe maybe she gave it just gave him the benefit of the doubt that time. But it was it was quite a serious injury. And of course, the key thing is with children that age that they can't tell you themselves what's happened and they can't tell you if somebody's been abusive or mean to them because they don't have the vocabulary skills. So they are particularly vulnerable. I mean, of course, children are vulnerable for a long time, but eventually they get to a stage that they can vocalise if something has happened to them. But a a 16 month old wouldn't have had a hope. Um, When the second time when it when it happened and this was the fatal injury, um, what happened that time or what was his excuse that time? Um, yeah, on, on that time, uh, he said there'd been an accident uh, in the kitchen, I think it was. And, um, the, but, you know, the, the child was quite seriously, you know, had a very bad sort of swollen head and, you know, was, was screaming. Um, and immediately um, the mother tried to get uh, him, uh, tried to get um you know, tried to wanted to call nine 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 nine, um, but he he didn't want her to. He he tried to sort of s- tried to stop her getting that care, um, presumably because he knew that it would end up with um, you know the police getting involved. But I mean, it's it's difficult to know whether a few minutes earlier, if the the ambulance had come, um, whether it would have saved New Saber's life. But you know, it's shocking that he tried to stop her. And when they did get to hospital, when she, she managed to get the child to hospital, um, was there evidence given as regards what she said to medics or, you know, what their initial thoughts were on, on this injury, how it had happened? Well, yeah, I, th- I think there was, she was also, um, there was evidence that Nosaba's mother tried to sort of play down what had happened um, and sort of protected him uh, to to an extent um, until it became quite obvious to the doctors and to the police that um, you know she wasn't quite telling the full story so um, yes that, that did come out on the 17th of September in 2019 when the ICU life support was switched off and Naseba died from her injuries um, at that point presumably the police are involved they've been called to the hospital by medics they realised that something serious has happened. Um, was was the was he arrested immediately, Cameron Hader, or had he had he disappeared? Yes, I believe he was he was arrested um, immediately. Um, I mean, I should I should also mention that the child's father, you know, biological father, Mohammed Umar, he he sort of rushed to the hospital as soon as he heard, and um, he didn't actually realise that she was living with somebody else. He didn't even know who this Cameron Hader was, you know. They they split up, and he was apparently trying to get custody of uh, Nusaba, um, but he wasn't even aware that she was living with this with this guy. So suddenly, he hears that his daughter's in hospital, very seriously injured. She's apparently had an accident uh, at the house of this Cameron Hyder, and he's 
you know, can imagine his shock and horror, you know, especially um, as the child, you know, would, would die four days later. Now, uh, under questioning with the police, um, Hyder pretty much tried to put the blame on Nasiba's mother. And he said that she had been, she had basically used the discipline on her and uh, he made some strange comments about her hijacking a taxi to take the child to hospital, sort of painting her as the bad one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what a character, right? Not, not only does he uh, kill this woman's child, but he then pins, tries to pin the blame on her. Um, it was the you know desperate act of a desperate man. And what was his demeanour like in court? Well, he—that's the strange thing. He—he he, he didn't turn up. He—he—he uh, um, he, he refused to. Certainly on the day of the sentencing, he—he he refused to uh, leave his cell at Belmarsh Prison, um, which you know many would see as the, just the act of a coward. You know, you—you you don't want to turn up to, you know, get your uh, your uh, attention. You know, your your sentence. But he—he mm-hmm. he did. Um, you know, he did uh, appear uh, several days during the trial and he lost his temper quite a lot. He he would sort of shout and interrupt people and um, that that did not help him one iota because the jury just saw this is a guy with a really bad temper, a really short temper, mm. and they could probably imagined that he's the sort of guy who would lose his temper with a little, little child and, and do this. And it's unusual enough to see that in court, um, you know, while you'll often see it in TV dramas. Uh, you don't really see that from defendants. They're usually pretty well behaved, pretty well dressed. Uh, you know, they will attempt to to look exactly the opposite. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm sure beforehand he would have had a proper talking to from his defence uh, lawyer saying, just don't say anything, sit quietly. Um, you know, they usually come all smartly dressed in, in suits to as if it's a, an interview. Um, but he obviously just couldn't, ha- couldn't, you know, couldn't obey mm. those instructions because he has got a very short temper. He was getting very angry about, you know, what was being said about him. And uh, it, it obviously had a very bad um, reflection on the jury, uh, 11 of whom returned for the sentencing, which is, I mean, it's quite amazing in that in that case, and also in the in the other case we're going to mention. Um, both times, almost all the jury turned up to hear the sentencing, which I've, I've, that's quite rare. I mean, you you often get you know one or two turn up, but to see most of the jury come back to hear the sentencing uh, mm. is quite was quite interesting, I thought. Now, the prosecutor Edward Brown QC told the trial that uh, Lucyba's death was likely to have been caused by violent shaking so that her head was thrown back and forwards, but not just shaking, said there was some evidence of impact as well. Um, And I think the jurors heard that Hyder had a history of violence, including exactly what you were saying at the beginning. Should this guy, should there be a register for for people who abuse children? And should Hyder have been somebody who should have been on that? Yeah, I mean, his uh, record was... was, um going back dated more to when he was a young a younger man um i think he was he was 39 at the time he was he was sentenced um so uh, and he, i don't think he had any um record of violence against children but i mean yeah the 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 incident 
the first incident in August should have been that should have been reported to social services and um it, you know there should have been a proper investigation at that point so mm. yeah there will be a lot of questions asked about this case so he has been jailed for life with a minimum term of 20 years and he got another sentence of 18 months for cruelty to run concurrently. So that is a hefty sentence. That's essentially a life sentence here, or a little bit more than it. An average life sentence here is 16 to 18 years. Um, and he'll be a man coming up to his 60s by the time he's released. Um, but unfortunately, he's not the only one that's been before the courts in recent times for such an awful crime. This one, if it's possible to be worse... I feel it is because the mother's involved as well in a much more hands-on fashion. Um, so this little boy, Kyrell Matthews, was only two when he died in October of 2019, just weeks after the other case. Yeah, I, I mean, they are very, there is a lot of similarities. Um, I mean, the, um, the Hyder case, Cameron Hyder was East London, um, Cairo Matthews was South London, but they, they were very, a lot of similarities. Um, and also, I mean, Ed Brown was the same prosecutor. Um, right. and, but it, it, interesting what you were saying about the, the sentencing, um, is that Hyder got 20 years, uh, as his minimum tariff. Um, and, uh, Cairo Matthews killer, Kemar Brown got 25 years. And I think that is because, it was substantially worse the 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 level of um you know uh injuries and you know that it be, it had been going on for a lot longer he you know whereas um Hyder lost his temper twice mm-hmm. um you know second time fatally um Kimar Brown had been doing this he'd been hitting the child for for months um and the evidence came out during the during the course of the trial. So he is in a relationship with Kyrell Matthews' mother, Philisa Shirley, who's 24. He's significantly older than her. Is he the father of this child or have they got together after the child is born? No, we, we heard evidence from the um, child's father, whose, whose name is Kyle Matthews. So um, he's obviously given his name to Kyrell. Um, they, in fact, um, Philesia Shirley, Cairo uh, Matthews, um, mother was originally at university. Um, and she met Kyle Matthews and they, they had a relationship and she got pregnant and she dropped out of university to, to have the child and, and look after him. But the relationship with Kyle Matthews broke down and they, they split up. And sometime later she met, she meets Kemar Brown. And uh, they they move in together. Um, so he wasn't he wasn't the father. Is there any suggestion of violence before to the child before she moves in with Kimar Brown, or does it seem to start when that relationship gets underway? Well, he he has got a long criminal record, which I I doubt he told her about. He he um, it included battery or towards an ex girlfriend, um, and also a, a robbery of a woman. A quite a violent robbery of a woman, which which he said, well, he was sentenced to six years in prison for. So, you know, he was not a guy, nice guy, and and he, you know, obviously prone to targeting people less, you know, or not men, not fighting other men, but um, picking on women and and 
ultimately children. And what happened in that household and over those months to that child? Uh, I mean, they, they, it sounds like a fairly feckless uh, household. They, they, they pretty much sat around all day uh, smoking weed. Um, from what, uh, what we heard, both were um, cannabis smokers. Uh, he might have been, you know, dealing as well, dealing drugs. There wasn't, neither of them were, um, in employment. I mean, she obviously had a child to look after or supposedly look after. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, um, not, not a, not a happy, happy home. Um, that, you know, very, just generally poor parenting that, you know, they were sitting around on the sofa watching TV all to all hours, you know, um, Cairo would fall asleep on the sofa. Um, you know, he wasn't being put to bed at a, a normal time. Um, you know, he wasn't being fed properly. It was just it's a pretty chaotic household. And in May of 2019, he was in hospital with a significant injury to the side of his face. That's five months before his death. Um, I think the hospital carried out an investigation and found that her ex explanation that he'd fallen off a high chair was plausible. Um, there was another red flag, perhaps, in, in, in July of 2019, when the police were called to a domestic incident at the house. Another incident where a passerby alerted police when they heard stuff. There was a lot missed there, wasn't there? There was, and it was also not really... Well, they, they, they obviously wouldn't tell anybody about this and and kyle the 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 child's father he wasn't aware of any of this he, he actually said later that um you know when he wasn't with um kyrell he assumed that his mother and and her partner were, were looking after him and he was in a safe place uh, he would have sort of occasional weekend access and you know saw a sort of happy child and then he would come back and give a give him to phylesia um but this 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 um process this this uh, abuse was going on for months um i mean it was october um 20th 20th of october when kyrell died when he suffered those you know final injuries but there was evidence emerged that um it had been going way back to july and august um in fact these these horrific um, audio recordings um, proved that that was the case. And those audio recordings were taken from Phylisa's phone um, and they were played to the jury. Did you, were you in court for them? I wasn't actually, but I, I, I was in, I interviewed uh, Ed Brown the other day. Um, we spoke to him after the case and he was explaining that, um, that, I mean, they had enough, they had enough evidence to go to trial, but and it was only sort of quite late in the investigation that the police were going through uh, Phylesia's phone. And there was, you know, as is the case with most people, there was an enormous amount of photographs and videos and all sorts of things. But then they found these audio recordings that she had made uh, when um, she went out and left um, Kyrell with uh, Kimar Brown. But it wasn't because she was concerned about um you know abuse it was simply that she thought he was being unfaithful she thought that he was um talking to other women possibly even having other women in their flat while she wasn't there so she apparently sort of set up her her phone you know 
in a sort of secret place and, and put it on record and then went out and um, she would she would come back later and obviously she would listen to those recordings um, to find out, you know, whether her, her boyfriend had been up to anything. But so that means she listened to these recordings where he is clearly hitting the child, you know, beating the child and the child's crying out. I mean, Kyrell was a, a, a non-verbal child, even though he was two years old. He, he couldn't talk or he didn't talk yet. Um, so he, he, there's no way he's going to tell anyone or, um, but he was clearly in pain in these, in these, um, audio recordings. And it's quite astonishing that she didn't take any action or didn't, you know, say, I've got to move out, um, or even, or go to the police or whatever. She just probably just relieved that he wasn't having an affair. It's astonishing. It's very, very hard, um, evidence no doubt to have to listen to in a course to hear the the distressing cries of a child yeah i mean everybody who was later um, killed the judge referred to it as very harrowing uh, evidence which you know will will stay sadly with the jury and anyone else who heard it for a long time now the 20th of october 2019 it was philesia who called emergency services to say that the child was his eyes were rolling in his head and he was floppy um and she was advised to give him cpr which she tried to do, and that later kind of slightly skewed exactly what had happened to him and maybe that some of these injuries could have been caused by that. I think there was 41 fractures on his body when he was, um, you know, during the autopsy they discovered. Um, what was did you? What was the tone of her call to emergency services? Was she distressed or was she...? Well, that is the amazing thing. You, you, well, firstly, she didn't call 999. Uh, which is obviously the the emergency service number if you have a, an emergency. She called one one one, which is um, sort of like an NHS advice line. If you you know if you're worried about you know so, sort of like going to the doctor, but um, you just ring up for some advice. And and she is so laid back in this call. It's sort of like yeah, he's sort of acting a bit strange. He's acting a bit funny, sort of um, a bit floppy, and he's he's you know it's like he can't breathe or but she just doesn't sound like a, a normally concerned parent whose child is struggling to breathe. His eyes are rolling back in his head. I mean, that most m- mothers and fathers would be terrified. Like, what the hell is going mm-hmm. on? They'd, they'd call 999. Or, um, so, in fact, the, the 111 operator herself then calls an ambulance. She calls 999. And then starts to give um, CPR instructions to Phylesia. And yes, that then became quite, that became a sort of a defence argument because um, it emerged that the operator had probably made a mistake um, by not clarifying the age of the child. Um, You know, most people, adults and sort of children of, of a certain age, you can do um cpr with two hands you're supposed to use both hands to to push down and get the heart beating but with very small children you know i think two or or under two you're you're only supposed to use one hand um because you you might cause damage or a bleed in you know internal injuries and that was something that the uh Kimar Brown's defence would later claim 
cause the injuries. They they also tried to dispute the fact that you know there were forty one fractures, but only five of them were fresh. You know, only five of them had been caused that day. And the the post post the pathologist um, Dr. Nat Carey, who's one of the top pathologists in the country, said that you know they were they were historical. They were they were old. They would sort of been caused and then healed again. And um, that was something that the the defence tried to challenge. They tried to say, no, they were all caused on the day by this 40 CPR. Now, when they came to court, both denied murder and um, they basically used this defence that they these injuries were caused by trying to revive the child. Well, um, the, the- yeah, it was, it was Kamar Brown's defence who used that. I think Falesia, she just said, I mean, she admitted causing or allowing death. So she basically said, I went out that day and left um, Kyrell with Kimar. And that's, you know, when this happened. And she she basically covered up for him later. But she's she's saying I didn't cause it. But he um, would would later claim yeah, he didn't do anything wrong, didn't hurt, harm the child. And he's, you know, it must have been the CPR that caused the, the, the death. Um, he was actually, the jury didn't obviously believe them. He was convicted of murder and given a, a life sentence with a minimum term of 25 years. And I think she was acquitted of murder, but found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to 13 years. Does she get half of that on license or does she have to serve that full sentence? I think she has to serve two thirds of it. Um, so yeah, she will be out before 13 years. I mean, obviously... Mm. She's also been in custody for, I think, getting on for two years. So that has to come off it as well. Um, so, yeah, she might be out in, um, can't do my maths, but maybe like eight years or something. Yeah. It seems that uh, in cases like this, no sentence is satisfactory um, when you hear the kind of evidence that is given and what no. has been done I mean, to she's, these children. She's a very young woman. She's still only 22 mm. So when she comes out, she will still be, you know, definitely childbearing age and, you know, and in fact, she, sorry, I haven't mentioned that she, she had a child with Kim R. Brown after Kyrell died. Um, After Kyrell died, it was, it was quite a long time before she was actually charged. Um, And in that time she got pregnant. She had a baby. We don't know the details, but I imagine that that child has now been taken into care um, so yeah, it's it's a tragic case all round. It seems that uh, many people can have children, but you know, to become a parent is a completely different job. Um, Tracy Connolly due out, and these people due in in any of these cases, and there's nothing but awfulness in them. Do you ever see any remorse? Do you ever see any humanity in those people standing there, you know, facing these charges and this? evidence about their children well n- not not in this case um kimar brown and Falija shirley neither of them showed any reaction the whole way through the trial uh, even when they were convicted there was not a not a fluster of emotion no tears um it, you know they're just i don't know what what they were they there was no no emotion at all i don't know what they were probably sorry for themselves, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe they're just very immature. Maybe over time in prison, they will change. They will 
you know, um, rehabilitate and and realize the enormity of the, what they've done, uh, what they allowed to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, it was neither that case or or Hyder saw any remorse from any of the perpetrators. It must be the most unnatural crime in humanity. And uh, you'd wonder sometimes, uh, are are some people just monsters? And is that is it as simple as that? Yeah, and it's interesting what you say about, you know, almost, you know, almost anyone can have a child. I mean, I, I've actually sat on fostering and adoption panels, which is fascinating. You You get to hear, you know, from... There's obviously a lot of people who have fertility problems and having have difficulty having children. Um, and there's other people who who kind of can have children with no problem, but because of variety of issues, you know, it could be uh, substance abuse, it could be mental health, it could be domestic violence, or you know, they they just can't look after that child, and um, it's given up for adoption or fostering, and, and ends up with couple who you know are infertile or having difficulty conceiving um and and some of it sort of left me a bit weird you know it left me feeling that you know these uh people were almost being farmed for for their their children but i mean in in most cases they end up in a much happier home and and that child will end up to have a, a much happier life um yeah, I mean, we don't we don't want to sort of end up in a, a dystopian world where you have to get a license to get pregnant and you have to, you know, prove that you don't, you know, you're not um, an alcoholic or a drug addict or that you're not going to harm your child. Um, it's got to be, you know, that anyone can have a child and and you know, but the the authorities just need to be really on top of any the minute that there's any allegation, they need to be right in there um and um you know just not walking away and uh letting people get away with this i think definitely cases like those awful ones we've spoken about today are proof of the urgent need for need for a register of those who have abused children in the past and maybe who can be flagged up to others going into relationships with them or to those around them. I, th- I think it'd be helpful. Ed Brown, the prosecutor in that case, he said um, he, he could see the benefit of a child uh, safety register. I think Dominic Raab is also leaning in that direction, but whether they go through with it, I don't know. Okay, Chris Summers, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.